Welcome back to Game Investing Pirate Radio. Hopper here to cover the big four SMBs. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Super Mario Brothers. Today in Japan, uh, it's already September 13th. Happy birthday, Super Mario. Born in Japan, imported to the United States. So uh, last night, actually yesterday morning, depending on what time zone you're in, um, Heritage Signature Auctions closed four big Marios for over $150,000 in total sold prices. Um, bidding is would be 80% of that because there's a 20% buyer premium. And I don't know which one to start with. Um, I think I'm just going to start with SMB2 because that one has a little bit of data. These are all really high grades. Um, there's really no comps out there because obviously on the prototype, there are no comps. And then uh, we haven't seen high grades like this on public markets. So for Super Mario Brothers 2, with the grade of 9.2 and above, I only found three solds in this year. And they're about five grand for the oval which is in the lower right again versus the round at about eight grand. So today's $10,000 price doesn't feel at all too high to me. I'm not surprised at all by yesterday's prices. I was more surprised by the social media uproar by the collecting community saying things like I'm going to get priced out of the market. So if collectors are expecting to get into 9.4s, 9.6s, 9.8s of what I call goats, uh, you know, you just can't do that in other markets. You, you can't get the highest grade of Superman or the second highest grade of Superman or Michael Jordan or I'm not sure about coins and uh, firearms or rare books, but I assume when you're talking about the goats, the best franchises, the best characters, the best uh, genres, uh, the best origin stories, the best historical pieces, I don't think in any collecting market as just a, uh, a hobby collector, you're going to be get getting into, let's say, the top 1% of the total population of games, for example, 17 million Super Mario Brothers 2. Dan and I discussed this on last night's episode, thinking it might be 1% when you're talking in the 9 to 9. You know, it could be 9-0 and above is 1 out of 100. We don't know yet. But when you're talking about like this piece, 9.4 A plus on a Super Mario Brothers 2, and I've seen a lot of boxes on eBay. I've looked through thousands of these. In the last month, I haven't yet to even find one that was sealed in pristine condition. And CIB, I mean, all the ones I'm seeing are like fours, fives, and sixes. So a 9.4A plus to me is kind of like a unicorn. Um, you can keep waiting for a 9.6 and a 9.8 and the rumored sealed cases out there. Uh, but then again... Um, we do know that sealed cases that get sent into uh, WADA oftentimes only yield one 9.8, according to uh, Certified Collectibles on YouTube, who's been doing investment-grade video games for decades. Um, you don't get five or six 9.8s when you send in a case. You get one. 
So you might get one nine eight, couple nine sixes, couple nine fours, maybe even a nine oh, maybe even an eight five if there's some crushing on the outside two pieces. So if you're waiting for cases to come out, uh, good luck. Because let's think about it. These four Mario games probably got hundreds of bids, maybe a hundred bids each. You know, someone bid two grand, three grand, four grand, five grand, six grand, seven grand, eight grand, nine grand, and, and all the people, 99% of the people got outbid, or 99% of the bids didn't matter. There we go again. FOMO, fear, greed. Oh my God, am I going to be able to get this for my collection? Should I wait? Uh, Dan says patience, but, you know, respectively, Dan, I don't know. I don't know if patience is going to work on a 9.8 black box or a 9.6 uh, yellow box or a 9.4 blue box. Uh, it's definitely not going to work on a prototype because what are you waiting for? Are you waiting for the market to crash? That's going to be a once, you know, that's a one-time opportunity that happened once for Michael Jordan. And when we're talking about Mario, my go-to comparison is Michael Jordan because he was local, then he went global. He had one big event in his life where there was one chance to buy him. You could have bought his sealed case for maybe 10 grand. It went for 1.5 million. You could have bought his sealed boxes for uh, 10 bucks sitting on card shelves everywhere before the crash. And now they're 100 grand. So Michael Jordan to me is the goat in sports card collecting. And sports card collecting is full of investors because people buy two, three, four, five of the same copy of a of a piece of cardboard and if you apply that to video games how are you going to get two three four five six copies of a 9.4 a plus super mario brothers 2 or a 9.2 a 9.4 9.6 that's cornering the market there is no supply you're waiting for cases i'm not waiting for cases i also didn't bid on these pieces because um i personally as an investor would rather pick up if i'm going to spend 10 grand i'd rather get a thousand cartridges of the round seal or a a hundred white bullet tysons or a hundred cartridges of the left bros because the way i look at it if i'm trying to get attention on social media i think a picture of a hundred cartridges of a, a rare variant is going to get just as much attention as a 9.4 a plus so that's for the attention side, time and energy. What about the money side? Well, is a $10,000 piece going to go to 20? Probably in the long run. Can a $10 cart go to 20? Yeah, in a month. I've seen it. It's happening right now. I've seen Mike Tyson go from 25 to 50 overnight. So it's very easy for something like a $25 Michael Jordan cover sealed that you can probably get a 949698 and there's plenty of population out there to build a portfolio of maybe 100. You can easily watch that game go from 25 to 50 to 100, but if you're going to get into a $25,000 Michael Jordan piece, you're going to have to wait a while for it to get to 50,000. So that's just the way I think. I'm a numbers guy. If you're an investor, I recommend thinking like this. Time and energy is one thing. I say focus on relationships when when you're talking about your hard-earned money, you need to calculate things like gross return, annual return, fees, shipping, insurance, uh, net, taxes, all these things. And you want to see 2x. If you get 2x, you know, the IRS, your state, sales taxes, shipping, insurance might cut that in half. 
So now you're left with 50%. Now, if you're getting into a $10,000 piece and you sell it at 12,000 or 13,000, you're going to have to pay out 20%. And, and by the time you're done, you may end up breaking even. So that's something to think about. When you look at these big pieces, they're getting a lot of attention. People are waiting for sealed cases on one hand. On the other hand, they're quietly bidding these pieces up. So nobody really knows without any population, but let's break it down in terms of supply and demand. We know emotions run the markets. Greed runs things up. Fear runs things down. Fear of missing out, I think that causes bidding. So all these pieces today I'm going to talk about received tremendous bidding activity. I was there live. I'm always live on the auctions. I'm always keeping track of how many people are bidding, how quickly is the bidding coming in, how quickly is it accelerating on the high end, how many people are left at the end because you can tell if it's a battle between two or three or four. So here again, you know, $3,000, $4,000, $5,000 bidders were left out in the cold. Um, that to me means at least 10 people want this. I would go out on a limb and say there's 100 people out there that would love to have a 9.4A plus SMB2 or any Mario in their collection. And as an investor, you look at that and say, hey, there's one available. Everybody wants it. I'm going to jump on it. You know, bonds are paying me 2%. Uh, the stock market's at an all-time high. I'm pulling my money out. Uh, my banker is giving me, you know, 1% on a CD uh, and I got to lock it up. If I'm going to lock my money up, why not take a little gamble, have a little fun, play a new game called Heritage Auctions, which to me is the funnest video game on the planet. I love following live Heritage because it's just so exciting. And this week we had a live auctioneer, beautiful woman that uh, really knew her stuff when it comes to um, cut bids and... Uh, and uh, last chances and final offers and, and working the time and the clock and all that at the end of the auctions to try to squeeze more action out and getting a feel for the crowd, which from what I understand is a live crowd. So this isn't eBay. This isn't Comic Connect. This isn't Comic Link. We're talking about live auctions. And um, yeah, maybe this SMB2 went for 1000 or 2000 over. I don't think so, though. Because when I'm looking at 9.2s for 5, I'm looking at this at 2x, which is 200%. Across the board, I think Mario's going to do 2x this year along with Tyson, along with any of the greats. I mean, it's a no-brainer. 2x is like money in the bank. Next year, it might not be like that. And in the past, it might be 10x, 30x. When you're talking bringing like a KB Toys $15 price tag up to uh, 20 grand, which we'll get into next. But... 2x to me is normal. I think uh, I think a 9.492 comparison at 2x is is fine. I think this piece is a ten thousand dollar piece, and if if a black box Mario gets up into the million dollars seven figure range, it's already walked into pawn stores at seven. Um, SMB2, SMB3 are going to become alternatives, and. Uh, I've seen this happen in Michael Jordan. I've seen dollar cards go up to now in the $500 range. And they were a dollar each for years and years and years. PSA 10s were $10 each for years and years and years. So what I'm saying is in the sports card game, 9.8 Mario's, let's say a Wii or a Switch or a modern Mario was going for like 50 bucks, basically MSRP, let's say. It took years and years and years and that, that went 10x. So 
you're talking a supply of a handful, you're talking hundreds of people, possibly a billion global gamers coming online, thinking about investing, gaming, and collecting. I think this is a solid investment at 10 grand. So let's move on to SMB3. Um, this went for a little over 20. So clearly, there's not a lot of data out there. I don't have comps. Um, it's a right bros variation. So an SMB3, um, that's the big separator is the left and right. And if you look at the uh, cover, what I think is the actual red part of his uniform is a little darker on the later print right. I'm looking at the cartridges as well. And I'm also seeing uh, what I call Kaizen. I mentioned this before. It's a Japanese word called continuous improvement. It means that every iteration, um, you're going to see some improvement. And I see kind of improvement in the artwork on the right versus left bros. So the one that sold yesterday was a right bros, but it was significant historical retail pedigree with KB Toys. Now, if you don't remember, KB Toys was a big player in the mall game, strip malls. I mean, that's where you went for Christmas to, you know, pull your mom's shirt and say, can I get this game? Can I get this toy? Um, sure, there was Toys R Us, but that was more of a big box superstore. So, you know, you didn't really find those um, in those little factory outlet strip mall type situations where your mom's also shopping at maybe a fashion store down the, down the way. So KB Toys, I think, has a sweet spot for collectors because they carried stuff like uh, trading cards, maybe sports cards, you know, toys, video games, and they carried kind of a little bit of everything. It was a, a lot different than uh, Toys R Us because you could go in there and you can find stuff. Whereas Toys R Us, um, I don't want to knock anything. I love Toys R Us. My heart bleeds for that bankruptcy and and uh, the only issue with Toys R Us was that employees got savvy and a lot of times cases would come in, let's say Hot Wheels or maybe even Barbie, uh, definitely probably Pokemon or anything that was uh, manufactured scarcity, I think is what invest, uh, reserved investment calls it. It's where it's where Star Wars figures. I know. I know. I walked into Toys R Us on uh, Black Friday, waited out outside in the line in the cold, got in there, and they had nothing. They had no none of the short prints. I I I asked the manager. I could tell by his face, his look, that like I got the feeling that yeah, they got some, but they didn't hit the floor. And that was the issue with Toys R Us versus KB Toys. I never heard those rumors with KB Toys. I'm sure they were there. But in retail, uh, cases come in, and the question is, does everything in the case end up on the retail shelves? And then you get into stuff like, when does it hit? When do they stock it? When does it go on clearance and all this? So a lot of fishy things happen in retail, but I can't knock retail generally because that's what introduced all of us to flipping, reselling, YouTube, uh, eBay, Amazon, Walmart, Mercury. A lot of us started in the stores with our iPhones and you know, it's kind of fun to go in a store because you can scan stuff without having to buy it. So the fact that this still has a KB price sticker right on the top right corner to me is just golden. This is priceless because if you run the numbers, you can see that there's a red line to the $49.99. It was clearance to $14.99, which tells me at one point in time, Super Mario Brothers 3 was overproduced. They produced 17 million copies. I don't know how many lefts and rights. Let's say there was at least 10 million rights. So at one point in time, there's maybe 
what, 10,000 toy stores across the country, maybe 20,000, let's say even 50,000. What is that, like 200 copies of a store? So, you know, when you're a retail manager, you've got a bunch of copies. You sold through 100 copies. You've got 10 left. Maybe you're going to clearance some. Some smart person bought this for $14.99. They put it away. They forgot about it. They left it in a bag. Who knows the story behind this? It ends up in the hands of a savvy collector or investor that sends it in the water carefully. It comes back a 9.6 A+, almost perfect. After it's been handled out of a case, put out on the retail store, picked up again, clearanced, drawn through with a pen, which could have a small indentation on the back of the price sticker. I don't know how picky WADA is, but uh, I think... Um, um, Who's that guy? John Hancock from the Metal Jesus crew. He mentions that he always leaves price stickers on all of his pieces because they show historical value. Uh, I call it retail pedigree, especially when these things go bankrupt, because it gives you a timeline. It gives you a snapshot into when we know, looking at that sticker, that number one, it's authentic. Number two, it came from retail. Number three, it came from KB Toys. Number four, it got clearance, which means it's a late production run. It's the end of the production run. It's probably one of the last retail boxes that actually sold from manufacturer through direct retailer to the end consumer. So we're talking untouched virtually. I mean, you can never get an untouched game because distributors slice open cases. I've talked to them on the phone. Can you get me sealed packs? You know, Kokum, Alliance, uh, you know, I've talked to these distributors. They've gone through cases and cases and cases of games, and they just don't sell cases. I don't know why Nintendo, Xbox, and Sony won't sell to retro game shops and small retailers. I don't understand why they only sell to distributors in sports cards. The manufacturers always took care of the small shops. I know Mattel might do that depending on volume. Nike, on the other hand, I think it's quite you know stringent as far as your inventory you can get accounts i do believe back in the day you could at least so i don't understand why video games are distributed through a second layer to get to the small guys like uh you know the retro game shops i talked about uh, a couple episodes ago but seeing this kb sticker i think that that sticker alone is worth five grand or let's say uh, 10 20 percent of the end end price so let's say two grand to four grand based on a twenty thousand dollar price if you're listening to this in the future and this thing is worth 30 or 40 i think that kb sticker is worth 10 percent, maybe 20 percent, because it gives us a snapshot into history and um, it tells us exactly where this production run goes now the problem is it looks like it's late production which usually can mean short but we don't really know. We know it's a right, bros. So with that in mind, 9.6, do we have any comps? Um, I can't find anything on eBay. I'm looking at, you know, 4500 for a 9.2, which looks like a bargain at this point, a 9.8 sealed for 3600 These look like bargains, and it's only a month ago. So clearly, with today's action, yesterday's action at Heritage, Clearly, 9.4, 9.6, and 9.8 is another separator. 9.2 and 9.0 is clearly going to be moving towards your high mid-grade or your low 
high grade, depending on the future population report. We don't know yet. But clearly 9.6 and 9.8 are a league of their own. 9.4 with the SMB2 getting the 10K bid, uh, no, final price, and the 20K on the 9.6A+. I definitely consider 9.4 and above sealed Mario investment grade. Okay, now should we move on to the prototype or the black box last? I guess we go with the black box. Now, the black box I could do several episodes and write a book on, um, even though I don't know anything about it. Um, it would take probably a year of research. I would start with WADA's PDF. Um, and like I said in the last episode with Tyson, um, I think the future of black box depends on subset collectors that try to build uh, registry sets of the black boxes. And when that first set gets built with that Mario, whichever one it is, that is going to set the standard forever in the hobby as it matures into an investment grade uh, collectible market because there are so many variations. And I pulled up the investment grade in terms of uh, 9.4 and above, and I can only find the infamous 9.4 A plus hang tab that walked into Pawn Stars asking a million. The rumor is on the street. They've turned down a $300,000 offer. Uh, the other rumor is that it's worth 500 grand. I don't know that if that means there is an offer on the table. Um, this was the first to market. This was first mover. This was... Uh, you know, a team effort, uh, three investors came together, built a team, used relationships, multiple factors. This was WADA on the, on the Heritage stage, waking up uh, uh, collectors across the uh, country and the world that came from artwork and comics. It's got the H seam in the back. Uh, it says hang tab NSE, GP code NESTM, no rev A. So I'm not familiar with all the 11 or 12 or 13 variations. Um, but that one went for 114,000. Then we got the 9.8 A plus by Rally. They're chopping that up into 300 pieces. It's sealed. You can see the beautiful shrink wrap. Um, that's also the same designations with no Reve, round SOQ. Um, the other ones are round as well. And the one that went for Heritage yesterday at a 9.8 A plus is our oval. So I don't have any comps on ovals for 9.8 plus except from 2019. And everyone threw this up on social media, said, oh, my God, Mario went for 4X, 400% appreciation in a year. And when you look at 2019 data, we only have one data point. We have 19 to uh, Q4 2019, Oval, SOQR, Carolina collection. So that that's going to be a premium right there. So let's say it, it was 15 grand. 15 grand for a 9.88 plus black box Mario in today's market only 10 months later looks like a freaking bargain for me. I didn't grow up with Nintendo. You know, I'm not talking about nostalgic value. I'm talking strictly what's available, what has sold, the tremendous demand, and then the supply. 9.8 A plus. On one hand, you've got people, oh, there's there's cases out there. There's cases of Mario out there. On the late print runs, non-hang tab, non-matte sticker, non-gloss sticker, you know, non-early, one, two, three, four, five, mid. I don't really know. I, I can't get into that right now. I'm not an expert. 
people are saying, okay, later run cases, cases, cases. Well, let's break it down. Okay, let's say there's a hundred cases out there. Soft cardboard, uh, those cases were in a warehouse. Um, is WADA going to give six, uh, if there's six box cases, are they going to be giving six 9.8s for every case? Is someone out there trying to tell me there's 509.8 later production A plus black box Mario's in some warehouse somewhere? Well, uh, I was going to look up all the Jordans in 9.5 to 10 in 1986 Fleer. And gosh, I'm going to be wrong on this, but I want to take a wild guess around the 500 range. I don't know. Um, I'm thinking 1 to 500, but the question is, how many were there when Michael Jordan was in the $10,000 range before he got up to the $100,000 range? How many of those sales just took place over and over again and were the same copy going through the hobby, going up through the ranks from, you know, from a sports enthusiast to collector to investor to registry, you know, set collector same with black box mario first it started with retro collectors then you've got the set collectors then you've got the master collectors then you've got the black box collectors then you got the variant collectors then you got the sticker experts then you got the hang tab now you've got teams of investors now we've got someone coming in that looks at it from the outside maybe coming from comics or artwork or sports cards and says that looks like a good investment I don't see 9.8s on the market. Sure, there's hang tabs going for six figures. Um, I might be willing to bet, you know, put in a 40, 50, 60, $70,000 bid. I myself, full disclosure, 100% transparency, I put in a $20,000 bid. I was going to pull my LLC uh, line of credit. I ramped up to build a game warehouse when Grayton Games, uh, you know, tried to buy a piece of land and, uh, go all into WADA at the retail and wholesale level. But once I realized I couldn't buy from the manufacturers, I couldn't build a warehouse for less than a million bucks. And I couldn't find any sealed cases. Um, I decided to go, you know, well, I'll write a book. That didn't really pan out. I got to page 30 and there's nobody listening and I can't really share it because it's supposed to be kind of a private thing before you get a publishing deal. So I said, what the hell? I'll just... I'll just follow Gary V's advice and put out content and see what happens. So as far as content on 9.8 A+, it is the sexy, um, it's kind of like, I always go back to Michael Jordan because he's an established, mature, iconic, global collectible that became an investment. Um, 88 NBA All-Star game when he dunked from the free throw line. And by the way, he borrowed that from Dr. J. So once again, play life like a video game, try, fail, learn, and um, become a master. That's what Jordan did. Dr. J did that dunk with full extension on the right arm, and he just dunked it kind of, you know, with the flip of the wrist, because back in the 70s, dunking with too much style was kind of frowned upon because fundamentals were really important in the game. Passing, you know, um, blocking out, rebounding, um, Fundamentals kind of like in the video game market where you understand what consists of a complete NES cartridge collection and understanding things like the short prints and the stadium clubs, the, uh, the stadium events. 
um, the Flintstones uh, variations, the fundamentals. But as time went on, it turned into entertainment. And you know what? Gaming was always entertainment. So why is it so bad that gaming's moving into investing through collecting? Why can't we have fun as investors playing the video game of Heritage, throwing money at these things rather than boring shit like stocks or coins that just sit there and look shiny or comic books that you can't open and read or sports cards that basically you can turn over on the back and read one little paragraph about Michael Jordan, but there's no origin story or you know, three-dimensional development story behind the artwork, behind the development of the cartridge itself, the coders, the hard hours, and all the stuff that goes into a video game, which is very complicated, but I respect highly having been grown up near Silicon Valley and watching these guys work seven days a week like me grinding on eBay, just, you know, nose to the grindstone for a year or two or six months, whatever, to put out a beautiful piece of artwork for you to grab off the shelf for 50 bucks. And in the SMB case, 15 bucks. So now here we are looking back 2020. Wow, that's retro. Wow, that's expensive. But let's look at it from an investment standpoint. There's only two comps out there that come even close at 114 and 140 grand. That's Rally and uh, the founder and CEO of Heritage with, I do believe, a dentist and a game store owner um, out on the, yeah, Virginia maybe and Florida and then Texas. So a three-state team buying the big 114. Then Rally comes in 140. They're going to chop that up and IPO it. 50 shares at like or it was 3,000 shares at 50 bucks a pop. Update me on how, what you think about that. And then we only have this one lonely data point that everyone's focusing on in 2019 for 20 grand. It looks like I got cut off and this is pirate radio. So I, I was rambling on and on and on about, you know, if there was a correction ahead, uh, You'll be a genius to buy that bottom and hold out for 100x or 10x like happened on Michael Jordan. I'm not really sure what got caught off in the episode, but I was basically arguing that if Mario is the GOAT of game investing forever, for the long term, for the short term, from the midterm, there might only be a few chances to buy him when these quote-unquote cases come into the market. And I don't think they're going to come into the market when there's a lull. So what do you want to have in a lull? A correction, a dip, an economic crash, a hangover to money printing? I think a 9.8 A plus black box any variation, I don't really care what it is, is probably the safest thing you can have in your portfolio. So when I look at 84 grand, I'm thinking that can easily go for 100 grand. This person can get out unscathed. Maybe they need to sell it for 105 to break even, depending on fees and insurance. Um, but if it goes to 200, 250, when the first black box that hits a million, you know, hits the mainstream media and it goes over to Japan and it hits their mainstream media, then it goes over to Europe and people start pulling out PAL variations and, you know, gaming goes global. There's nothing I'd rather have than a 9.8 A plus black box Mario. So let's move on to the last peach, which is uh, the last piece, Princess Peach. <laughs> we just got all kinds of problems today with Mario. He just brings up too much for me. There's just too much information, basically. Too, TMI to cover in a half hour. 
So we're going over now and uh, we're going to talk about the Super Mario Brothers 3 prototype. So um, there's a lot of chatter on social media about prototypes in general. And I guess it's an acquired taste. Um, this is freedom of speech, you know, First Amendment type of stuff. But my opinion so far is that generally in collecting, if you want to put a separator between collecting and investing, generally, I think collectors focus on the supply side and investors focus on demand. So when Warren Buffett goes into a, when he goes into a position, he looks at both sides. He wants to get into a company that's undervalued. He's looking at the supply side, but he's also thinking about future demand forever because he buys and holds. He doesn't flip things. So when we're talking about investing, we're talking about buy and hold. So for me, looking at games compared to cards, for example, comparing Mario to Jordan, um, I don't think game investing has even really started yet across the USA. Um, as of these last three days, I did my largest um, sales in 35 years flipping to Florida. I Wikipedia had CGC there in Florida. I noticed that one of the three guys that bought the first uh, six-figure Mario black box that walked into Pawn Stars for a million is from Florida. Um, I remember Star Company that produced the first Jordan rookie card before the FLIR one that most of us know about, but there's a holy grail before that. That company was in Florida. Um, I just had my Jedi Master on... Uh, uh, no, actually, it was Dan. He just told me he bought a really nice piece from Florida. One of the uh, eBay flippers that I follow on social media, he he gives a lot of free content and helps a lot of people flip. He's called Rockstar Flipper. Shout out to you, bro. Um, he's from Florida. I understand Florida either doesn't have a sales tax or an income tax, and I do believe people run around and they buy stuff uh, sales tax-free all the time. It's, it's commonplace, so it's a flip culture in Florida. Um, hopefully the guest that's going to come on who, uh, actually bought the black box Mario is from Florida. Um, one of the heavy hitters on Instagram who, uh, who has probably the best public, publicly private, you know, it's a private collection being shown publicly if, if you follow him, which is possible on Instagram. Um, that's the interesting thing about Instagram. It's public yet private. So, He's from Florida, um, and uh, I'll have to say that for right now, on Super Mario's birthday, 35 years from the release, I'm going to make a call, and I'm going to say that Florida is the spark for gaming, retro collecting, master collecting, game hunting, game chasing, um, upgrading, Frankensteining, all these things that came out of the first two chapters in video gaming has started in Florida for game investing. And what I mean by game investing, I'm talking about people coming in that may have never played Super Mario, like me. 
I've never played Super Mario. Maybe I have? I don't remember playing it. I only remember playing Zelda and Tyson. Um, I played a ton of arcade games. For me, a platformer would be Defender. I will go one-on-one -on -one with anyone on an arcade Defender, except that my hands and fingers are broken. Um, you know, I don't even know about platformers. So I'm a great example of someone that knows about the history of gaming, where it came from, what gaming truly meant in the first chapter, whereas the second chapter dominates the hobby. The second chapter I'm calling people that grew up with Nintendo, powered by, by a nostalgia, and they know all the variants, the populations, and everything about Raw and Sealed, and they're uh, first movers in uh, WADA and VGA. But they're not necessarily investors because they are emotionally attached to each piece in their collection. And Warren Buffett says it. I mean, anyone says it on Wall Street. Wall Street is full of sharks, whales, cutthroat. I mean, there's anything from bankruptcies to homeless people to billionaires made overnight, uh, millionaires made on one trade. I mean... Don't get me wrong, that place is fear and greed to the max. I mean, if you're coming from another world looking at Earth, you could learn a lot about mankind by just taking a trip on Wall Street and trying to understand what money means to mankind. It's really scary if you think about it. And I want to emphasize when I'm talking about investing, I'm talking about time, energy, and money. And below that, you've got supply and demand. And underneath everything, you've got emotions. So we have to find separators between collectors and investors. And one stereotype that I keep seeing, negativity that I'm going to push back on, is that investing is always about the money. And if it's about the money, it can't be fun. And I'm going to tell you right now, having partied, Two or three decades of my life punishing my liver and just being a dangerous, destructive individual chasing fun for years and years and years. Parties, sex, drugs, rock and roll, you know, traveling internationally, backpacking in Thailand, staying in youth hostels, you know, drunken driving, dangerous, whatever, juices, um, putting poison in my body, chasing fun, chasing fun, chasing fun, fun. Yeah. It's, it's freaking fun to collect. It's freaking fun to go retro collecting, game hunting, putting together a collection, Frankensteining. No question about it. It's fun, but investing can be fun too. When you have a family, a day job, uh, you work 12 hours a day, you work at an office, you work on wall street, you work in real estate, uh, you're a sophisticated investor in other realms. Maybe you own a comic book wholesale company, whatever. You don't have time to go on social media and talk about variations or artwork or Rev-A or TMs or black boxes or stickers, oval seals, round seals. Number one, your time is invested in your family and your career. Your energy 
you try to walk away from your day job with enough energy to give that to your family, you have a little bit left for your one little hobby. What if that hobby is investing? What if that hobby is setting aside a million bucks, a hundred grand, 500 grand to build a little portfolio of stuff that you think is cool? What if that's fun? What if it's fun to drop a hundred grand on a comic book and then, hey, why don't I get a video game to go along with that? Hey, look at these Marios. You know, wow, I think Mario's iconic. He's going to go global. And if video games take off, this is going to be a fun thing to get involved in as, as investors. And I want to get in early. Getting in early is like, I know it's not a word. It's the funnest thing there is to do as an investor is get in early. There is nothing. And sure, greed is in there. Sure, FOMO's in there. But fun is when you can look back and tell your fellow investors, I got in early. That's Gary Vaynerchuk all day long telling us, I got in early on social media. I got in early on Google AdWords. I built a .com before social media and blew it up you know, 40x or 20x just by grinding all day long. Investors, they understand time, energy, and money. They don't have a lot of time and energy to drop into investing uh, in games like I do because I happen to be a reseller, dealer, wholesaler, retailer my whole life. So it just so happens I've been dealing in this product for 10 years. So it gives me a little bit of a platform to where when I'm doing my normal business, I can pick up nuggets and share them with you to hopefully help the collectors that want to jump into investing cross the chasm. So what I'm trying to argue is investing can be fun too and getting in early is the shit. So let's look at this prototype. We're talking about an early prototype. We're talking about, correct me if I'm wrong, but is this the first prototype Mario of any situation to go on Heritage? Um, I'm typing in Mario prototype WADA. That's the only one that shows up. I'm typing in WADA prototype in general. There's 26 sold. I'm seeing all kinds of stuff. Um, Monster Party, Superman, those aren't prototypes. Those aren't prototypes. Okay, discs. Sega CD, Sonic CD. That makes sense because Sega went bankrupt. So there was probably a sale. I just had a buddy who's a lifer on eBay. We started our last card shop together. He just got invited to a liquidation company um, from a leading electronics uh, retailer in a very high-profile uh, zip code in Northern California. And when these liquidation companies come in after a bankruptcy, you will see really weird stuff in high quantities. So when I see all these Sonic CDs going for 400 whatever, um, I'm thinking that was a liquidation situation. So the closest thing we see to Mario is basically a Dragon Warrior prototype. And it went for uh, three grand, so 10x. We're talking 10x Dragon Warrior. And again, this is Q, Q4 2019 data. Now, number one, the number one factor I'm going to just say right now, do I have any time left? Yeah, I do. So the number one factor right now is it's fun to get in early. 
And I'm sure you heard of the term IPO, initial public offering. Well, the real investors, the sophisticated investors that invest time and energy into relationships, they have relationships that then get them into a company like Uber, Google, Amazon for dollars on the penny, pennies on the dollar. We're talking Amazon sitting at $3,000 a share. An insider pre-IPO could probably get in for a dollar a share. You want to talk about 1,000x, 3,000x. You're talking pre-IPO, sophisticated, and most importantly, connected investor. What do you want to be if you're a collector investor? You want to be connected. You want to know who Dennis is. You want to know who Nerdy Girl is. You want to know the CEO of Heritage. You want to know Valerie over Heritage that runs the whole video game operation. You want to know every connection you can get in Florida. You want to know people at VGA just in case there's a piece that you need to get first to market that WADA hasn't built a blister case. You want to know people with connections to Nintendo in Japan. You want to know people with connections to Nintendo in America. You want to know people in the retro retail gaming industry in case people come in and they bring something like this prototype over the counter. Because just this past trip, I walked into a retro gaming store. I called first, number one call first. We talked about heavy hitters, and he said, you know what? I do have a piece. It's weird. It's got three price tags on it. It's been sitting around our shop for three years. It came from a Nintendo, longtime employee, Nintendo America. We think it's a prototype, but it doesn't look like one. It looks like a rental. I have no idea what the value is. There you go. That's something you invest time and energy because if you're willing to pay up the first time, if he gets another prototype. This was a Zelda, by the way. I hope to God, you know, he remembers our $500 deal because, you know, I bought a lot of stuff and I, I, I made a fair offer and hopefully we did good business and we started a relationship. So when you look at this on Heritage Auctions going for 30 grand for something that was hand built slapped together in a Kid Icarus, a, you know, cut open case with some chips. To me, this is just golden, priceless history. It's just got so many factors. You've got the fun factor of whoever gets this piece is the first mover. This is kind of like the IPO of prototypes. We did have the Dragon Warrior, but this is 2019 data. So whoever got that stole it. Um, that Dragon Warrior is probably worth bank today. Um, you can set the price because again on the supply on the supply side it's called a one of one so there's one in the world all it takes is one buyer one price which means the price can be anything anytime in the future looking at super mario do we have to talk about the historical value you know uh, smb3 17 million copies on the demand side it's got everything going for it there's one additional factor going for this that Dragon Warrior does not have. Me having broken dreams in Silicon Valley, uh, coming out of high school as a coder in 85 when the only job was available was like, uh, I don't know if there was even any jobs available. We were dreaming of working at like EA. Um, there was like one gaming company, EA. Um, we weren't going to go to work for Atari by that time. Coding back then meant nothing. You couldn't get a job at Google. You couldn't. So by the time I was in my sophomore year in college, uh, I didn't have the grades to get into the 
full-blown engineering program, uh, engineering program for computer science. And I gave up on my coding dreams in 1987. I dropped out of college in 1990. Long story short, coding for me is a, is a boulevard of broken dreams. Shout out to Green Day, Northern California band I saw in Vegas live that blew my mind. Um, when I look at this prototype and I see these four handwritten, uh, you know, uh, whatever they're called, C-ROMs or PROMs, and I look at the handwritten Super 3 with the Kid Icarus rip sticker cut open three times, and they're plugging and playing different cartridges in here to do different stages of the game, I'm assuming, or testing maybe an engine versus the world or mechanics, whatever, as they're developing this. I see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of just coding, testing, uh, reiterations, testing, improving, testing, testing, coding, coding, testing, communications from Japan to Silicon Valley or, or wherever it was, probably Seattle, probably Redmond, Washington, you know, 24 hours a day working with two uh, groups of teams across the Pacific Ocean trying to develop this cartridge down to $50 so you can pull it off the shelf. I mean, let's just add up the salaries. What are we talking here? 100 grand a pop. There's a 10 to 20 to 30 people working on this. There's a 50-person team when you include retail, wholesale, distribution, overseas, taxes, uh, transfer costs, uh, shipping, manufacturing, um, marketing, uh, distribution, I already mentioned, but digital distribution, you know, what if there's commercials? Um, and all that stuff is captured in this piece because you can see right there that compared to comic books, uh, cards, um, coins, um, I'm going to leave out movies and muscle cars because movies and muscle cars are probably the closest thing when it comes to development. And I'm going to pick on muscle cars or use them as, as a comparison because I get a blast from watching the auctions. Um, I grew up in a muscle car town. Long story short, um, you know, my first job was at a gas station. So I got muscle car leaded premium in my blood. And I built a muscle car uh, after I left gaming in like 82 or 3. I got into cars and alcohol and partying. But anyway, it always turns into a medium story, doesn't it, when I say long story short. But God, how much time do we have? Okay, we still got time. Um, prototypical muscle cars. So we're talking about racing cars. When I see this Mario cartridge, I look at that as a racing car. That is a race car where you are dropping a million, two million, three million, five million into a chassis, it's called. A chassis is basically the frame, and that's about it. And everything else on the chassis gets improved over time. Tires, suspension, shock absorbers, connecting points, engines, transmissions, cooling systems, electrical systems, you know, brains. And then you slap a body on it that's going to get crushed in races and you know it goes all the way to the ripoff thing on the goggles that the race car driver is wearing that are disposable to me this cartridge is a race car it's priceless you dump more money into this cartridge than ever is going to come out nintendo japan 
the company that was born out of small playing cards that I actually played as a kid in Japan before video games. I know where Nintendo came came from. I actually played uh, those little tiny cards, and I, I had a blast. I've been a gamer my whole life, and when I say gamer, I'm talking darts, bowling, pool, uh, miniature golf. Uh, I'm a pinball wizard. Uh, and playing cards, oh, yeah, I'm a master. You want to play me at blackjack, poker, Nintendo original, uh, solitaire, maybe not solitaire, but like uh, backgammon, uh, there's all uh, cribbage. I've played it all. I have played the original Nintendo. So when I look at this cartridge, I'm looking at Nintendo playing cards dropping because they just made Super Mario 1 and 2. They got scared on Super Mario 2 to the American market and ported some other, what was it, a Doki Doki game or something weird because they were scared that Super Mario 2 natively for the Japanese market was too hard for the American gamers. They had to create an 800 helpline and all that for Zelda. And In other words, they, they invested millions and millions of dollars into try, play, learn, fail, improve, become a master. Like I always say on my podcast, they've gone through Kaizen, Kaizen, Kaizen again and again and again to bring you a $50 piece of uh, art that can that can just give you joy for generations. So when I look at this, I see a race car. I see they're, they're, they're putting in a different engine. They're putting in a different tire. They're putting in a hood. They're cutting open the body. They're cutting open the hood. They're developing this. They're making it better and better and better. And we can look back now and say, my God, this is this is before the first print run. This is somewhere between, who knows, SMB1 to SMB3. We don't know if it's during SMB2. Some of the code on those ROMs could be from SMB2. I mean, we're talking hundreds of people. It could be hundreds of millions of dollars if you count every single dollar from the Japanese yen invested into the black box Mario all the way to the last KB Toys SMB3 we just talked about. This cartridge could represent a $10 million investment in terms of time, energy, and money all the way from Japan to Redmond, Washington, across to New York and, and back through you know, Florida, the West Coast, California, LA, Hollywood, and Silicon Valley and and, and the middle of the country. So I look at this and I say any price is a good price. I don't say any price is a great price. I say any price is a good price because when you're racing out on the track, any race car that can finish that race is a good car. It doesn't matter if you get first place or second place or fifth or eighth. The goal in racing is to finish the freaking race without the engine blowing up, without the transmission blowing up, without the fenders falling off, without flat tires causing an accident, without the drive shaft snapping in two, without a deadly crash like my hero Senna, bless your soul. That was just unfair. You know, it can end in a second. Racing's very emotional for me because I've almost died uh, drunk driving and driving too fast on alcohol. So I didn't expect to break down in this episode, but um, here we go. I'm very emotional about racing, and I think this is a race car. 
race cars are priceless? Nintendo finished the race for SMB3. They capped, which I do believe is the 8-bit era, uh, which I grew up on, 70s and 80s. And this is the masterpiece? This is the priceless exclamation point on the SMB run on the gray box NES that saved the industry? I'm very emotional about this. I think this is a $100,000 piece someday. I think this piece is priceless. So from a supply and demand standpoint, the demand is unlimited. One person owns this piece, and they get to determine the price. They get to decide which relationship I'm going to pass it on to. Am I going to pass this on to my kids? My grandkids, am I going to give this to a museum? Am I going to give this to the um, Pink Gorilla Games owner's foundation? She's into preservation. I know there's a couple other uh, operations. I think there's one in Texas. Am I going to give this to someone like the Metal Jesus crew, John Hancock, who wants to build a museum locally here on the West Coast? Where gaming was saved and started, it started in Silicon Valley. It was saved by Redmond, Seattle area uh, gamers. Um, this piece is not for sale. So the fact that it was for sale yesterday, that's like buying a Shelby race car. And I do believe that a Mustang prototypical race car that he built I do believe just set the record for muscle cars in the Mustang genre somewhere in the three to five million range. So now that I'm getting emotional about this, I'm going to be very bullish and say that this piece has the potential, if it's left in the private markets and not donated to a nonprofit, where it becomes priceless. I predict this piece could reach three to five million US dollars someday in the future. After the black box Mario goes to seven figures. I believe this piece has what I'm going to call the mystique factor. I'm going to put this in the book. By the way, I wrote a, I started writing a book and that's why this podcast was born. But for, for Mario, I'm going to have a special surprise. I'm going to go into the book. And I just created a new paragraph in the book called The Mystique Factor. And, oh, wow. Yeah, I believe in ghosts. I believe people are watching. The founder of Nintendo's watching. You know? Uh, Shelby's watching. Senna. So... The mystique factor is, is generational. It goes beyond pedigree. It goes beyond history because it connects the current generation with something mystical from the past. And that's what The Last Dance did on Netflix. It connected the current young generation of sports card investors to the mystique of Michael Jordan. And that's what this cartridge can do. 
So that's it for today. It was a tough one. We dropped two episodes. Thank you for bearing with me. If you lasted this long, you are a diehard fan, and I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Remember, play life like a video game. Try. Try something new, like maybe a prototype. Don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to overpay, because take the wisdom and succeed.